ahead. Okay. So uh, uh, I'll start with a, a question. Uh, so what do haunted houses have to do with the most common fatal accidental ingestion? So keep that in the back of your mind uh, as we talk about uh, CO poisoning. So as you can uh, tell from the way I began that riddle, uh, it ends up that CO poisoning is actually the most common fatal accidental ingestion. So I want to talk a little bit about sort of what are the typical uh, clinical scenarios uh, uh, by which uh, CO poisoning occurs, uh, the pathogenesis uh, uh, by which it uh, causes its uh, the, the disease process, uh, a little bit about the ER evaluation and treatment and disposition plan uh, of CO poisoning. So uh, what are sort of the common things that we've seen or you've seen in sort of your medical careers as far as uh, CO poisoning? What, what, what situations? Suicide attempt. So that would be something where uh, a car uh, is left running uh, in uh, a closed space, uh, and uh, uh, about a third of uh, CO poisonings uh, are due to exactly that type of situation. So that would be non-accidental, but uh, probably the most common uh, cause of uh, uh, intentional uh, 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 overdosage uh, uh, for CO. What are other situations? Right. Great. So it ends up that uh, tools and appliances, any, any tool and appliance that runs on uh, fuel, uh, it ends up that CO uh, is produced from uh, incomplete uh, combustion, which by definition is uh, oxidation of some carbon containing fuel. So any sort of fuel like butane, propane, kerosene, uh, when it burns, it combines with oxygen and releases, if it's complete, carbon dioxide. And if it's incomplete, uh, it uh, releases carbon monoxide. Okay, So those would be sort of the common scenarios uh, uh, by which that happens. And in terms of the uh, uh, pathogenesis of how it causes the disease process, it ends up that uh, sometimes you'll see a uh, fire agency come in and they say, yeah, uh, the CO detector read 100 parts per million. Right? Uh, does anyone have a, a, a number in their mind uh, that they get concerned about CO exposure? Good. So it ends up, you know, 50, uh, but when you get up to 100, if you're exposed to that for, uh, you know, uh, more than a couple hours, then that's generally the level at which you'd consider having uh, an issue where it would cause a problem. It ends up that you know, 50 or 100 parts per million of this uh, carbon monoxide molecule uh, is extremely toxic, whereas you know, carbon dioxide in just ambient air is at 400 parts per million. And it ends up that carbon monoxide, uh, does anyone have a sense of the mechanism by which it causes its toxicity? It's that higher affinity right. hemoglobin that So, right. This guy's a plant. He's a plant. How much higher? How much higher? Ah, no, too much, too much. Too much respect for CO there. But 100, 120 times uh, the, the affinity. Uh, so when you think about it, the conventional teaching uh, for the uh, pathophysiology uh, of why it causes uh, uh, disease is that it causes a functional anemia. I mean, it, as, as compared to oxygen binding to hemoglobin, you have CO uh, with 120 times the affinity. So if, in effect, you have a functional anemia. But when people get anemic, 
They don't come in with headaches or ataxia. So there's other factors that come into play. So it ends up that CO in and of itself is a toxic molecule that uh, uh, causes lipid peroxidation. So it's an oxidative stress on the uh, phospholipid bilayer, especially of brain cells. So keep that in the back of your mind because that'll be uh, uh, important for the clinical presentation. And it also binds uh, to molecules in mitochondria, but binds to cytochrome. So it inhibits oxidative phosphorylation, uh, energy production for cells. Uh, so keep that in the back of your mind. And it binds to myoglobin, uh, which is, as you know, an important protein for uh, cardiac function. So keep that in the back of your mind. So against that backdrop, uh, the clinical presentation is if it, uh, uh, the, what the, what, what's the classical clinical presentation? You come in with sort of a flu-like illness and everyone, including the dog, has a flu-like presentation. So it ends up that that's sort of just that low energy state, right? Because of uh, sort of some of the oxidative properties on the phospholipid bilayer of cells in the brain, uh, it has a particular toxicity to the brain. Uh, so ataxia, uh, uh, or cerebellar dysfunction, or cognitive problems like memory, intention, concentration. And then you can actually have cardiovascular collapse, and that's based on uh, the fact that you know you have a low oxygen state and it's binding to myoglobin, so it inhibits cardiac contractility. So as far as workup, what do you see us doing here? Yeah, so you get a blood uh, carboxyhemoglobin level. Uh, and in general, you start to worry uh, if it's above 20%, uh, there's no hard and fast rule. If a woman is pregnant, usually you start to worry if it's above 10%. Uh, but the parameters that uh, people use, I mean, as far as treatment, uh, you know, the, the, more, the more elaborate treatment involves hyperbaric oxygen therapy. But in the ER, what you see is uh, people get placed on an oxygen non-rebreather. The half-life of CO uh, with uh, uh, on uh, just normal uh, inspired air uh, with uh, uh, oxygen concentration of 21% uh, is four to six hours. And you lower that to 60 to 90 minutes uh, as a half-life. Uh, and if you do hyperbarics, it, it goes down to more like 20 to 30 minutes. So it ends up that the treatment is basically you treat until they're asymptomatic. If they're at a level that, you know, they meet a certain threshold, like 20%, and they talk about diving the, the patients. The data on this, there's seven randomized control trials. Uh, four show no benefit, one is equivocal, and two show benefit. Uh, so there's not really any sort of real guidance from evidence-based literature that suggests improvement. Uh, and then you know, down the road, patients uh, uh, do need neuropsychiatric uh, testing uh, because they can sometimes have prolonged cognitive de uh, deficits. So going back to our original question, uh, of CO poisoning in haunted houses. One theory that has been substantiated in certain cases is that you know these families that are exposed to toxic CO levels in a house, uh, they start to feel ill, they start to have delusions, they, they leave the house, they start to feel better, they may have delayed manifestations where they have persisting neurocognitive defects. So going into the house, they have the symptoms, leaving the house if they don't it affects the whole family so that's the relationship between co poisoning and haunted houses all right see how that came full circle